Well, this morning, with our theme of the rhythm of worship, we again ask the question, how shall the young secure their hearts? How shall the youth, the children, guard their lives from sin? And it really begins in the passage that Kurt read, the Shema, the Hear, O Israel, and this this call to talk about the commands with our children. Now, in Scripture, this is not necessarily having a Bible class at home, and that might not go over so well. Uh, The picture we have in Scripture is one of, of talking about these commands and the natural rhythms of life as they come up, as you wake up in the morning, as you sit around the breakfast table, uh, before you go to sleep at night, on the road. So you receive a promotion at work. You talk about that with your children, and you talk about how God is blessing the family and the opportunities to give and to help others. Whenever you drive down the road and and you hear an ambulance go by, it's the opportunity to pause and pray with your children for whatever situation that is. Whenever we return home from a long journey, we stop before we go into the house and drag all of our luggage in, and we offer up praise and thanksgiving for traveling mercies. There's another rhythm that I really didn't pay attention to until last year, and it came from our study of the TechWise family, and that is the, the rhythm of the carpool and commuting back and forth to all those different places that we go during the week. There's a statistic that Andy Crouch brought up in his book, and he said that on average, it takes about seven minutes in order to go and engage in real substantive conversation with your children or with whomever, whomever you're with in the car. And it's a wonderful opportunity. We had a woman last year in the class say, I love the car. I have a captive audience, and that's when we're able to engage in meaningful conversation. We have the time, we have the space in the car, that so often, and I'm as guilty as anyone, we short-circuit that because we go to the radio or to the technology in order to fill the silence. There are times for that, but just keep in mind that may be a wasted opportunity. Think about that. The other rhythm that we have is what James shared with us earlier, and that is service, service, serving with our children. So the Christian faith is not just about talking, it's about doing. Talking about God, talking about the commands, and living them out. This Wednesday evening, the men are going to talk about compartmentalization there in the Family Life Center on Wednesday night, and that really goes to the theme of this this wholeness, that what we say matches what we do and and we pray that the service the seeds of service that are planted in the children in our youth that they will grow and they'll sprout in the years to come and so we have this rhythm of worship talking with God walking with God that really goes back to the beginning that goes back to the very beginning of our story Genesis chapters 1 and 2 this picture of of God walking and talking with his people and blessing them the image of Adam and Eve walking and talking with God and returning that, that praise to God. And, and you read Israel's history, that's the way it, it's meant to be. Even in the temple, even in that, that worship, we are supposed to have that kind of relationship with the Father above. But as we see so often in Scripture, that's, that kind of relationship is corrupted. It's distorted. 
And we even see that with the temple worship. And in our sermon text today, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to run into a confrontation. Jesus is on his last leg. He is about to go to the cross. He is revealed to his disciples and to the, the lost sheep of Israel, who he is, the Messiah. He's revealed what the kingdom of God is all about, the passage that Wren read earlier, the Beatitudes, this, this upside-down way of living. And now he has entered into the city with great fanfare. The people lay the leaves down and they shout out, Hosanna to the Son of David. It's an incredible scene. And the people are ready. They are ready for a king. They're ready for someone to come and set things right. They're ready for someone to come and restore the fortunes of Israel. And the first order of business of the Messiah is to come into Jerusalem and go straight to the temple. But it's not for coronation. Jesus has something else in mind. Let's hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And some translations say doves. He said to them, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, did you catch the story that happened last month in South Carolina? February 2019, a man goes out from work, and he comes home. It's a Wednesday And he goes to the door, and there in the door is a woman. A woman who is not his wife. A woman who's wearing his wife's clothes. And the woman had her children there in his house. And the woman says, in a polite way, she meets him at the door, and she says, Can I help you? And he says, Yes. You can help me. You can get out of my house. Who are you? Well, this man, he left for the day's work. His wife left for her work. And this stranger, this woman and her kids went into the house. They somehow made it into the house. And they acted as if they owned the place. They moved the furniture around. They created a huge mess 
including bringing the dog in who soiled the carpet. They made themselves at home. And the police came, of course, and they escorted the woman and her children away in this truly bizarre case of this man having to reclaim his own house. To reclaim it from a woman who acted as if she owned the place. Well, in a way, this story hits on the major theme of our sermon text this morning. Someone has broken into God's house, and they're acting as if they own the place. They've made themselves right at home. They make up these rules. They declare who may enter and who may not. They enjoy the power that comes along with ownership. And Jesus has a name for them. He calls them robbers. Now, there's a lot of different answers as to who these robbers may be. They could be the people who are buying and selling. And the occasion for buying and selling there are the temple sacrifices, the Passover festival. People are traveling long distances to come to Jerusalem and they wouldn't want to bring their animals, so they buy the sacrifices there. Jesus could be talking about them. He could be talking about the money changers. And so people carry with them Roman coinage with all of these graven images, with the Caesar, with idolatrous images, and the money changers exchange those Roman coinage for the silver, the shekel, which will be used for the temple tax. Jesus could be talking about them. He could be talking about those who are selling pigeons. What was that all about? Well, the pigeon or the dove was the sacrifice for the poor. And so folks were buying pigeons there in the court of the temple. And perhaps there was some exploitation going on there. I could see very easily someone overcharging the poor for a pigeon. And Jesus says that they have turned this house of prayer, this place where people come to connect with God, even the Gentiles come and pray to God. Jesus says, you have turned this house of prayer into a place of commotion and greed and profit. You've turned it into a den of robbers, a safe haven for robbers. Now, the word there for robbers isn't your typical thief. The word there is really for insurrectionists. Those who are trying to create change and anarchy through any means necessary, violence. It's really a group of people who are out for power, out for control. Well, in the context of Matthew, I think Jesus has someone else in mind when he is cleansing the temple. There's a group of people who truly had broken into the house of God and they were acting as if they owned the place. And they end up throughout the Gospel of Matthew being the chief target of Jesus' criticism. And he's talking about the religious establishment. The scribes. The Pharisees. The teachers of the law. Those who should be the shepherds of Israel Jesus calls them out, and throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he has some very colorful language in describing them. I would draw our attention to our, our text next week in our Bible classes, Matthew chapter 23, the seven woes. I'll read one of them here in a moment. 
But here we have a group of people, a group of men, who are truly robbing the people of Israel. They're robbing them of their joy. Robbing them of their hope. Robbing them of their freedom. They're squeezing every last ounce of life out of the people through their rule-keeping. They make up rules. They believe that if they follow the rules perfectly, then they will bear fruit in the kingdom of God. And they place these enormous burdens on the people. Rules that even they make up. At the expense of justice and mercy. Because for them, rules are the most important thing when it comes to pleasing God, following the rules. And I'm not saying rules are bad. But hear what Jesus says about this mentality in chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat, swallowing a camel. So in chapter 21, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple, and the leaders come out to meet him, And they say, can I help you? And Jesus says, yes. You can get out of my house. Rembrandt has a painting of this, and this is his vision for this scene. And I want us to just take a look at it for a moment. Jesus there in the top left with a a whip, a cords. Just take a look for a moment. That's not the typical picture of Jesus that we think about. It's not the tender shepherd. It's not the let the little children come to me version of Jesus. We wouldn't put this in the nursery Overlooking our children as they sleep, I don't think. But make no mistake, it is a reality of who Jesus is. Jesus has come also as judge. Well, he would never look at us like that. He would never look at Brentwood Oaks like that. He would never look at us in our pews individually like that, would he? I'm going to use a metaphor, so go with me on this. Understanding that God is with us and that Jesus is with us right now as a reality in this place as two or three are gathered in his name. But here's my metaphor. Jesus is coming to inspect his house. He's coming to inspect his temple. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple. The church is the temple. The church is the house of God. Not a a building made with stone, but a people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Corporately, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but also individually in our seats. Jesus indwells us. His Spirit indwells us. 
We are God's house. And the question is, when Jesus comes to inspect his house, what will he find? Will he walk among the pews with the ease of being an owner? Will he find a group of people who submit to his ownership, his kingship? Or will he find a group of people who act as if they own the place, who do things that the owner would not do? Will he find here at Brentwood Oaks and each one of us individually, will he find a house of prayer or will he find a den of robbers? It really comes down to this question, is he Lord of this house or is he not? And I'm asking this on a very personal level. Jesus is looking for something. I'm going to buy us some time. Let's say that Jesus is coming in an hour. And I don't know about you, but when I know someone's coming in an hour, I do some quick inspection. I don't just go willy-nilly and start picking up things. I probably should. But what I do is I take a step back and I look and say, well, how will our visitors see this? I'm giving away the secret if you come over to our house. I'm buying us an hour. I'm buying us a couple minutes to look around our hearts. Jesus is looking for something. He's looking for a disciple. So think about all the areas of our lives. Our leisure time. Our entertainment. Our time, our finances, our relationships, friends, those we're dating, our marriages. What about those little things that we, we own and we can't let them go? The envy, the bitterness, the greed, the lust. The anger? Is there something in our temple that we refuse to relinquish ownership? Is there something in our temple, let me rephrase that, is there something in his temple that he needs to reclaim in our lives? Let's think on such things for a moment. This morning, the sermon really is that phrase, the sermon is yours, and we take it in whatever direction we hear God taking it, because really these are questions that we can only ask and answer ourselves. And I did some squirming this week in thinking about these questions. Well, there's a there's a beautiful scene in this text that's only found in Matthew's telling of the story. And admittedly, I've glossed over it every time I've read Matthew until this week. And it's the scene there of the blind and the lame and the children. These are the ones who really were kicked out by the owners. 
And the ones that really caught my attention were the children who continued to sing Hosanna to the Son of David. I've never really imagined that before, and it's really a delightful scene to imagine. So think, if you will, the, the scene there in the temple courts, the temple, perhaps there are tables that are still turned over. I picture animals running around with their owners trying to chase them down after the carnage that Jesus ushered in there at the temple. And then the blind and the lame come in. Those who seek healing come to the Messiah. And then there's this noise, this chant. Can you hear it? Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. It repeats over and over again. The song of the children, and in my imagination, in my mind's eye, I see the the leaders, the scribes, the, the priesthood coming out and meeting Jesus, and they're having to talk over this chant the whole time. The kids are just chanting this over and over again. This chant that started at the triumphal entry continues into the temple, and even Jesus himself is having to talk over these children. Can you hear them? Out of the mouth of babes comes forth praise. They're turning this den of robbers into a house of prayer. Back into a house of prayer. Jesus is reclaiming his house. And the ones who are doing this, the children, really are the models of the kingdom. They're the ones, the blind, the lame, the children, they're the ones who recognize their insufficiency. They recognize their need for God's grace. They recognize we really don't have anything to offer except our praise. And before anyone, these are the ones who recognize that the owner, the true owner, has returned to his house. And these are the disciples. These are the true disciples. These are the hearts that God can take and bear fruit in the kingdom of God. So in a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song. And we haven't sung this in a long time. And some of this will take you back maybe to other churches that you attended. Who at the door is standing? It's the old invitation song that some of us are familiar with. But that song comes from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. So there's precedent for Jesus coming and inspecting his houses. If you're, his house, if you're familiar with Revelation, there in chapter 2 and chapter 3, those are the seven letters to the seven churches where Jesus does inspect his house. And he has some hard words to say. And the most famous of these letters is the church to Laodicea. And it's the most famous because of that image. It's the image where he says, you're neither hot nor cold. And because of that, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It's a word of judgment. Not unlike the word of judgment we see at the cleansing of the temple this morning. But along with that word of judgment, even within the letter to the church of Laodicea, there's an invitation. Jesus is offering an invitation. He's always inviting. He's always offering the invitation to relinquish that ownership, to become a true disciple. Hear these words. Here's the invitation in chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door 
and knock. So children, you know that song we sing? Knock, 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 I hear Jesus knocking. That's where this comes from. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, this morning in this passage, we've run into a group of people who act as if they own the place, who act as if they own God's house. And frankly, none of us are immune from this temptation. Not one of us are immune from this temptation to walk out of step with our Creator, to walk out of the rhythm of walking and talking with God in that relationship of discipleship, that relationship that really begins with joining in with the children singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. It's very, very easy to get our priorities out of whack It can happen so quickly. We wake up and all of a sudden we realize that we have not prioritized the king. We are walking around our our lives as if we own our bodies, as if we own our relationships, as if we own all the little things that we keep hidden in our heart. But here's the word of grace. The word of grace is that when we turn, when we take those things and surrender them, to the king. That's when he can do his best work. That's when we truly become vessels for the kingdom. If we relinquish our ownership to the king. So, he's at the door. He's patiently drawing near. Do we have the ears to hear this morning? If you'd like to respond to the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who can prioritize our lives and give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.